0: From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Monday, September 28, 2020, with Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax, and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from
1: callers.
2: Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines,
1: bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the screen. And that scene.
0: sound of Lucinda Williams means it's time for the local coronavirus update, 3 o'clock Monday afternoon. I'm Alicia Bales, and in the studio is Dr. Drew Colfax. Welcome back, Drew.
2: Thank you, Alicia. How's it going? I'm doing great. I mean, Santa Rosa's about to burn again, and we have dystopian skies. But personally, I'm doing quite well. Thank you.
0: I think you had several shifts at the hospital this weekend.
2: I did. I had... I think it was four overnight shifts finishing this morning. Um, Not a huge amount of uh, COVID coming through the ER during the nighttime hours, at least. That's
0: encouraging. Which
2: is good. Um, Mostly those patients are presenting during daytime hours, actually. Uh, We are starting to see a few people now and then with... uh, sort of long-term sequelae of COVID. So people who had COVID back in June and July, there are enough people in this county now who have had COVID that they're re-presenting, still not feeling well. And that's that's definitely something we're learning exists with this disease. Oh, wow. It's not just the acute, you know, five to 10-day illness or five to 30-day illness, depending. But it's, it's there's a minority of people, but a substantial minority of people who have long-term sort of fatigue and chest pain and shortness of breath and low-grade fevers that can be pretty debilitating.
0: Wow, and it's we've only had this disease since, what, January, so we don't know how long this all will last.
2: Well, in, in this county, we've really only had this disease in a substantial way since mid-june so you know we haven't really had the opportunity for for lack of a better word to start seeing that that aspect of this disease but places like New York and other places that were hit hard earlier are certainly reporting similar sort of thing
0: all right you got the numbers for us
2: I do uh, so since last Wednesday we've added 47 new cases our current case count is up to 934. Uh, We've run 26,233 tests, 1,167 of those are pending. That's about 150 tests a day, so still adequate testing right now in the county, which is good. Uh, eight people hospitalized, three of whom are in the ICU. Um, our positivity remains more or less unchanged. It's 3.4 or thereabouts. Um, and our test uh, rate per 100,000 is actually up to 14 now. So kind of high, uh, much higher than what That's we really would... That's really high. Yeah, it was 13, I think, uh, middle of last week. So it's gone up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but and it's you know obviously well above the below 8 threshold to get into the red tier so we're hanging out in purple for a while yet um no doubt about it which frankly i think is uh, appropriate so sonoma county um is actually doing better than we are right now that's you know yeah, we kind of changed places with them yeah, last it's, week you know it's going to be the sort of yo-yo slinky sort of elastic process mm-hmm. and some areas are going to do a little better some areas are going to do a little worse california on a whole is doing better um nationally the the hot spots are really sort of the midwest and the south in the united states uh, the U.S. has crossed the seven millionth case. If that you can wrap your heads fast. around that, wow. um, and our national fort day rolling average is now firmly in the positive range. We've increased our national case count up to over 20% in the last two weeks. And we were negative up to about uh, 10 days ago. So things are trending in the wrong direction nationally. But California and uh, surrounding states are actually doing fairly well. Uh, other numbers to wrap your mind around. We're about to cross the millionth case worldwide. Uh, which actually, to me, sounds remarkably low. Um, And the reason why it feels so low is because even though the United States has 4% of the world's population, we have... 20% 20% of the world's deaths. Um, so, you know, if the world had been dying at the same right. rate Americans have been dying, we'd have about 5 million worldwide deaths. And, you know, obviously, we're not, the, you know, that's not what we're seeing. So, we have the most expensive healthcare system in the world. Um, and yet, we are dying at a rate five times higher than the worldwide average.
0: We have kind of a distorted sense of how many people are getting sick and dying from this disease because our numbers are so dramatically mu- much more than the rest of the world.
2: Sure. And you know, the, that, those numbers have to be taken with a grain of salt. I mean, I'm certain that the numbers are underreported in developing countries. Africa and, and, and parts of uh, Asia certainly are going to be underreported. But still, we're quite clearly doing quite a bit worse than any other fully developed um, Western nation, particularly when you factor in the exorbitant costs of our health care. But I'm feeling fine. I, mean, I I realized that I can now deduct my seventy thousand dollars I've spent on hair care for this radio you know, show. So know, I was so going to say. I'm, I'm it's looking, looking forward to paying seven hundred and fifty dollars in taxes this year. I, I feel like that's going to be really a nice thing for me personally, as a overpaid doctor. Yeah, he yes. does,
0: he pays less less taxes than me, and I'm like poor.
2: He pays less taxes than my twelve year old. I think. <laughs> anyway. Um, Not a lot of um, breaking news on COVID treatment. There was a Lancet article that came out that got a little bit of attention uh, talking about how the antibody rate is uh, 10% or thereabouts or maybe a little bit under 10%. I would interpret that study with some caution. That was uh those were antibodies that were run on dialysis patients um off of the sort of the residual convalescent plasma that they run through the machines um and uh, that's not obviously that's not clearly a representative sample of the population dialysis people um need to be exceptionally cautious because they do exceptionally poorly with covid so i suspect that the actual antibody rate may might in fact be a little bit higher but still not close to what we need. What does that mean, antibody rate? So we're talking about how many people have presumably been exposed to COVID Ah, in some way and developed antibodies to it. It's not clear. Let's just be be clear. Um, But it's not clear at all whether that um, gives somebody substantial immunity to the possibility of a future illness. And we know that there is a risk of reinfection. Uh, It's not yet known what that what that may look like going forward um but it's a marker of how densely um, penetrated the illness is into the United States population.
0: Have they gotten the antibody tests uh, sophisticated enough to tell if it's COVID-19? Did yeah,
1: they no, they, they can do that, that yes. Huh, okay.
2: um, but it's just not clear what that means. And there are a lot of different antibody tests out there, a lot of different antibodies, obviously, and you know the clinical utility of those tests is still an mm-hmm. open question.
0: Whether it's just exposure or an actual immune response or something like that?
2: Well, it's an immune response to an exposure, and whether those exposed people knew they had it or not is obviously something that we're dealing with constantly with the asymptomatic nature of this illness but yeah it's it's not it what's not clear is how to use that data
0: Uh uh-huh and so they they found that there's a 10 percent rate of people in the country who have who have antibodies but they've actually it was a select group it
2: was a select group it was people who are who are on dialysis and i would submit that those people are being a bit more cautious than the general population Maybe not, but they certainly should be.
0: Got it. So their rate would be would be lower.
2: Perhaps, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, otherwise, not a lot um, breaking, really. Um, People no, are distracted by other things breaking. Well, you know. Lots of breaking happening. Yeah. Um, I have a question
0: for you. Is, is that okay? Yeah, please. Are you done with your...
2: My ranting and raving, yeah.
0: (laughs) Maybe. Maybe we'll get there. But um, I have a question because I was listening to a really good interview on the radio this morning during the takeaway. A woman talking about schools and kids and, you know, the situation with COVID of everybody being at home. And, of course, we're living that situation, too, with my son. Uh, But her point was that um, everything all of our policies should be focused at getting schools reopened right that this that schools are sort of the the foundation of everything else in society functioning and so that should be our sort of north star we should be doing everything we can to to, to get to a point where schools can safely reopen and i wondered what that might look like what would it take for short of a vaccine to actually reopen schools in in mendocino well,
2: county well that, that that's been one of my gripes is the priorities both statewide and locally and na- certainly nationally is, you know, we're, we're talking about reopening restaurants for indoor dining and all these other sort of recreational indoor activities that are, while nice and certainly essential to sort of long-term well-being, are not nearly as essential, I would submit, as schooling children in person. Um, and so the more that we do any of these other moderately risky activities, Uh, the less likely that we're going to get the rate of positivity, um, the rate of uh, new cases down to a level where we're going to successfully be able to open a school and keep it open. It doesn't do any children or any families any service to open a school for two weeks and have to shut it back down again because you have a surge of cases. And that tends to be the trend um, throughout the country as schools are trying to open up for in-person schooling. And then chaos ensues when a kid is positive and everybody has to be quarantined and go home and the teachers have to be it's just it's just too there's too much of it still um and so we really need to get our case our sense our positivity uh rate down to one to two percent i would submit um before we are at a level where schools could be reasonably reopened and and we can expect that they will stay open
0: well and that's what everybody in the rest of the world who's had success has done, right? They've gotten their positivity rate down to below B- two.
2: B- below Certainly below two. And, you know, most countries that have done that have reopened schools quite successfully have it well under one. And they're also doing it in the face or uh, with the help of much more widespread aggressive testing. And, you know, <laughs> remarkably six, seven, eight months into this thing, we still don't have, you know, the fast, widely available, not necessarily so sensitive or specific um, tests that we need. I mean, there's, there's technology out there to, you know, have a 15 minute test that every kid walking into a school could be, you know, could be admitted, could receive every day. And that would be an adequate way to, you know, screen everybody all the time. It would be, you know, a saliva version of the home pregnancy test. You know, it's, it's out there. We could do it. It was just not any sort of national movement toward getting that rolled out.
0: All right. Well, that's that starts to answer the question. I just wonder if we had some sort of will to do it. What what it would take.
2: Well, you know, the will is there amongst some of us. We just don't have any sort of national policy on this. And I was actually, and I did this for y'all, my listeners, I was listening to Fox News Radio one of these early mornings driving home. And, you know, just to listen to sort of what the alternative universe may be hearing. And, you know, they were really talking about how this is only... Um, killing one percent of the population—that was their sort of response to getting things reopened. It's like, well, it only affects—it only kills one percent of the population, as though that's an acceptable number. Um, and they admittedly excluded anybody over age, the age of eighty. Uh, so it's, it's, it's just really a scary sort of talking point when you're willing to accept, presumably, three million deaths to get things reopened. I—it's just very depressing times.
0: Socialists, they're always looking for the disposable segments of the population. Well, yeah. Um. Okay, well, you know what? The phone lines are lighting up. <laughs> People know. Okay, so the phone number here is 895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. And let's, let's get to some of these questions. Good afternoon, Collie. You're live on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my
1: call. So... Dr. Colfax, you know, when you were saying about um, the underrepresentation of numbers of cases, I don't know what just happened, but I'm still with you, the number of cases um, uh, uh, represented uh, around um, cases and deaths in other countries, Mm -hmm. I I would submit that even though we have a higher case rate and death rate here in the U.S., that that's underrepresented as well. Oh,
2: I agree. No, and I've talked about that. I mean, the, the best sort of marker overall of mortality from this illness is the excess mortality from what we would expect looking at previous years. And right now, our national death count from COVID, if you will, is I think 205. Thousand people, but the excess mortality, um, the number of excess deaths that we have experienced since, say February 1st, is somewhere around 270,000 people. So you know that's another 65,000 people that have died in this country that we would not have expected to die. Some of that may be from COVID. Um, a substantial portion of it may be from COVID. It also may be due to the fact that a large number of people are deferring um, medical attention with catastrophic consequences. But that also is due to COVID, in you know, a, 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 at the root. But yes, that's a very good point. All
1: right. well, thank you. Thank you.
0: Take care. Be well. Thank Thanks, you. caller. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Great. Thank you for taking my call. Um, Uh,
1: Yes, Dr. Colfax, you sound a lot like your brother, the other Dr. Colfax down in San Francisco, and he was on last week talking about San Francisco's situation. And I was just wondering if there's anything that Mendocino County can learn from there, you know, the amazing job they've been doing. And the second question I had is that I have been recently very fascinated by my air purifiers and reading about their medical claims and the extent to which they filter out germs. And I'm just wondering,
0: is there any possibility that we can have air filters that will filter out the virus? I'll take my answer up the, up here. Thank you.
2: So, you know, the, the, the big seven Bay Area counties um, have unified um, their approach to COVID in a substantial way. San Francisco has been a little bit more conservative in their relaxation of some of these restrictions. And the outlying counties, including Mendocino County, um, have generally been following the Bay Area's lead. So there hasn't been a lot of discrepancy in terms of what we have been doing in this county when compared to um, the Bay Area counties. San Francisco um, actually could relax its... um, tier, um, under their testing prevalence and under their positivity, um, rate, but they are electing not to, um... Partially in you know in response to my brother's very um, strong belief that it is premature to follow uh, Governor Newsom's tiered system, um, and so they've been doing a great job. I you know I certainly hope that we don't rush to red the moment that the the the, the light turns uh, red, but I I'm not sure that that's actually going to be the case in this county. I think there's a lot of pressure to move things to open. I unfortunately think that the reality is that we'll swing right back into purple again, particularly if we go to red. And we're talking the tiered system. If we go to red, um, you know, towards the end of October, which is kind of when we might get the numbers at the, uh, to to the necessary level, um, right as flu season and we begins and we start to go indoors. But so. A- a public health
0: officer can decide to not move correct it's you you can you can stay
2: you you have to it's a it's a one-way gate valve so if your numbers push you to a tier you have to be at that tier or a more restrictive tier but you can um you can stay at a higher tier even if you're allowed to um go to a less restrictive tier
0: uh how does the governor feel about san francisco not going
2: down i i don't know the answer to that Okay, but city and county of San Francisco's mortality is astonishingly low. I mean, it's the second lowest of any big city in the United States. It's right behind Seattle, is my recollection. Um, I, I, you know, in a city of almost a million people, I think they've had just about a hundred deaths, uh, which is, you know about 10% of what we've had in this county per capita. So they've done an astonishingly good job of both keeping the case count low and treating the uh, sick people with the, with the illness.
0: Amazing. Okay, air filters.
2: Air filters, yes, part two. Um, so I, I would take any claim um, of sterilizing the air with a healthy grain of skepticism Um Air filters that rely solely on filtration technology may remove some of the viruses circulating in the air. Uh, Ones that use UV light in conjunction with uh, filters are going to work, I think, a bit better simply because we know that the UV light kills this virus. Um, So use them, sure. And should they be sort of deployed in widespread fashion through any indoor space that's open? Yeah, I think that'd be a great idea. Whether we're going to actually see that or not, I don't know. I know that a lot of the little, um, you know, mom-and-pop stores around um, the county that I've been in um, have air filters running. Um, I think they help some, but they don't really change what we need to do when we are in those places of business.
0: Yeah, I saw a couple at the grocery store yesterday. I had no idea what I was walking by, but I figured after a while it must be an air filter.
2: Yeah, you know, air, air filters are fine, you know, and once this air quality improves, if it ever improves, you know, just bringing in outside air is also a good option. So literally just fans and open windows is an option.
0: All right, this is the local coronavirus update with Dr. Drew Colfax. He's in the studio. I'm Alicia Bales, and we are taking your calls at 707-895-2448. Let's take another call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. The president unveiled
1: the 15-minute COVID test today. Abbott Laboratories will be leading the march. So it's a national done deal. Um, uh, a report that I read from Canada um, regarding those people who like to wear their masks b- below the nose. The report says that COVID virus attacks the nose first because the nose has more of the cells it likes to attach itself to. And the cells are closer to the surface. That's it.
2: Yeah, so I... I- I saw that the president was announcing this 15-minute test. I, I I certainly hesitate to um, call anything a done deal coming out of this administration's handling of the virus, but we certainly need, you know, just massively widespread, um, very. Uh, cheap testing. And there's been a uh, physician out of um, Harvard who has been sort of pushing this theory for quite some time, for a couple months now, about how we need to simply have widespread, cheap, effective, not necessarily sensitive or specific testing that would really allow us to um, screen people on a national basis for this and allowing us to be much more precise in our restrictions on activities um as for the nasal pharynx um predilection of this virus yes that is correct it does like to attach and replicate in the posterior nasal pharynx which is one reason why we've been sticking these q-tips all the way into the back of people's uh, sinuses to get the uh, sample for our covid tests um and so a mask hung under the nose is really just about equivalent to no mask at all um Um, But, you know, that can only be uh, educated one person at a time. People are getting better, I think. I'm seeing fewer masks that are hung under the chin or fixed to the forehead.
0: (laughs) The forehead one. That's my favorite. (laughs) All right, caller. Thanks a lot. Take another call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on
1: the air. Oh, hi. Hey, what about that? Well, the air filtering, uh, that's what they use in laboratories is a negative air filter that uh, they blow the air through the filtration system and on to where the laboratory technician is working on viruses and bacteria. Right. The laboratory. Yep. And so, you're, you're breaking. I thought the air filtration will work.
2: Oh, no, it'll work. It's just, it's hard yeah. to set up a, a negative no, pressure I'm room. On a... <laughs> it's
1: hard, I know what you're saying, but yeah. it, it is something that is used in all kinds of uh, laboratories. and I, I set up one. I, I cultivate mushrooms, and I, I have a simple one that I use for, for that.
2: Yeah, I I, I, I I totally agree. I just I, I hesitate to recommend um, oh, yeah, you know going on saying. Amazon that's, that's, and ordering an air filter and expecting it's going to work at a at a medical lab grade level. It's just it's just not. Well, uh, but, you just got to have the right
1: quality ones. You know, you sure. have to have air filters that are filter things more than one time. You
2: know, <clears throat> I,
1: I agree. Because I have used them in woodworking shops too, and and i have a i heard they use charcoal filters there's five filters in there and two hepa filters and it cleans the air yes they're, they're,
2: they're, there's the technology so these, there these there's And like say you will be right or you will be right they 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 will work
0: all right thanks for the call caller before
2: and, but, before we get into more calls alicia should yeah. we talk about testing um locations in oh the yeah yes we, we have a couple of, of announcements to yes. make um yes.
0: so we did We did contact different clinics to find out about what testing is happening this week. And we have good news. Mendocino Coast Clinics will be testing weekly through the end of the year, as will Anderson Valley Health Center. Uh, Mendocino Coast Clinics will, it's not clear which day of the week yet, but you have to call to make an appointment at MCC. And that number is 964 1251 to make your appointment, and that's Mendocino Coast Clinic's weekly free coronavirus testing. Uh, same with Anderson Valley Health Center. They will be doing weekly testing on Thursday mornings through the end of the year at Anderson Valley High School in the parking lot. That's from 9 to 10 30. Did I get that
2: right? I think so. I mean, it, they tend to close up shop if there aren't any. People coming. Um, So, if you want to get tested there, I would get there at the beginning of the nine to eleven time slot, rather than right at the very end. Don't show up at ten thirty. And that location may change if we ever start to get some rain, but that's to be determined.
0: Yeah, and then there is a. A testing event in Leightonville at Long Valley Health Center this Friday, October 2nd, from 8 to 11 a.m. This is also free COVID screening. It's in the Long Valley Health Center parking lot, which is 50 Brantskam Road in Leightonville. And if you want more information about that, it's 984-6131. Excellent. So, yeah. So, that's good. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, we have been trying to create out of this update that we've been doing a podcast and we finally got it done thanks to uh, our intern Savannah and so you can also get the local coronavirus update with Dr. Drew Colfax as a podcast now on it's at least on Spotify and iTunes um, or Apple Podcasts I guess it's called and it's called the KZYX local coronavirus update with Dr. Drew Colfax just because I'm a fan of brief, short, easy names but if you um, search KZYX It'll come up. And That's I think we great. have four subscribers so far.
2: That's just great. 20 years as a, an attorney, as a doctor with no footprint on the Internet. And this show has given me one. That's You're a fantastic. podcaster now. Yeah,
0: That's cool. Thank yeah. you. So check that out. If you, if you want to listen to this as a, as a podcast, it's out there for you. So, okay. So we've got a few minutes left. And the phone lines are open. Yeah. So let's go ahead and put out the number one more time. It's 707 895 2448. And we have time for one more call. If, if you have a question out there, 895 2448. And if not, I don't know. You got anything else?
2: There are well? always will be calls. We, yeah, got we call. shut them down there to announce things, oh, but they you came have right so back. So much faith. Yes. Here
0: we go. Good afternoon, Caller. You're live on the air.
1: Hi. Uh, I think I need to turn my radio down to set. Okay. Um, I've been trying to convince someone against the herd immunity idea, (laughs) and I just was wondering if you could give me a couple of numbers to throw out at them. Um, I heard the ones previously about the whole country, but something a little simpler, I was wondering, like, for instance, in Ukiah, Drew had mentioned how many people would have to, I hate to say that, die, to... um, get to herd immunity, and also give an example maybe of just a community of 100 people. And I will turn my radio back on and try and listen to the answer, okay? Sure. Thanks, Colin.
2: I'll try to do some quick uh, math in my head here in real time. But herd immunity generally is going to require the best est- estimate for this particular illness is about 70% of the population has to be exposed and develop some sort of immune response unfortunately um, we also know that even though you are exposed and have developed an immune response you can still get the illness again so the herd immunity is not absolute and that number means it that means that it, me- this number might in fact need to be higher than 70% But taking 70 percent of the population as a as a good estimate um, in this county, if I can do it by county, um, 80,000 people in this county, 70 percent need to be infected. That would be 56. Let's call it 50,000 people would need to have covid in this county alone. Right now, our national mortality rate is 2.7 percent. So that would be on the order of 13. To fourteen hundred fatalities in this county to achieve herd immunity. Um, yeah, the the mortality rate is probably considerably lower um because there are a significant number of people who are not presenting and have not been included in the case count nationally or locally Um, but even taking a one percent mortality uh, which is fox news's trivial number uh, that would be 500 deaths in this county right now we're at 18 so that would be a long way from here to there to get to herd immunity. Yeah. I hope that I hope that helps, but yes, the herd immunity narrative continues to pop up in a in a way that really doesn't have any um public health backing or scientific um, basis you know the Swedish example was held up early in the spring or late in the spring early summer and they have had fairly disastrous results with their attempt to achieve herd immunity which they still don't have um, so it, it's just not a good model it does have the ear of the president and um, certain news channels but I don't think that there are any responsible public health officers officers who feel like herd immunity, natural herd immunity, is a way to um, get through this pandemic.
0: Well, it's not like people are just on their own dying. These, these However, this range of people, up to 1,300 people, it this will also severely ap- affect our health care system.
2: Well, not only that, but, I mean, if we have to get 50,000 people sick in this county to achieve herd immunity, this is not a trivial illness. This is the flu on steroids. It is really an unpleasant illness. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, there's long-term sequelae that we're seeing in some people. Um, and so, you know, just the, the morbidity, uh, not the mortality, um, but the morbidity, the illness, the sickness burden uh, would be exceptionally high to achieve any sort of herd, uh, herd immunity. So really, the only way we're going to safely and sanely get to herd immunity is with a safe and sane and fully tested vaccine, which, you know, there are still positive signs, but it's, it's a long way from uh, phase three trials to deployment of 330 million vaccines. Next summer-ish. I, I think we're going to I I am optimistic that I, as a healthcare worker, might get a vaccine in December or even maybe January. Um, I think that uh, the elderly and sort of at risk populations might have the might have access to vaccines come March or April. Um, those may be a little bit optimistic. Um, and then more widespread vaccinations sometime late spring. That's kind of the best estimate. Wow. Um, the the open question is vaccinations for children because none of these trials has been testing the vaccines for kids and though kids don't seem to transmit quite as readily as big people they do in fact certainly harbor the illness and they can in fact spread it um, amongst themselves so that that's going to be a thorn in this whole herd immunity through vaccine uh, process that's going to stretch us well into next summer dare i say it
0: So, okay, last question before we finish up. What's a sequelae? Uh,
2: Something that follows something else. Oh,
0: that is not what I thought it was.
2: It's just a run-of-the-mill vocabulary word.
0: What's a sequelae for morbidity.
2: Just don't ask me to spell it.
0: Uh, That was my next question, but I'll (laughs) I'll Google it. All right, well, that's been the local coronavirus update for Monday. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, great, Great callers today. Indeed. And thank you for being here. Really of appreciate course. it. I will After be back weekend.
2: on Wednesday. Yep,
0: Wednesday from three to three thirty with more
2: Cheery news. Yeah, cheery good news. news everywhere. Good
0: news and yeah. more calls from you all. And thanks again. And we're gonna join Reveal. In, oh, oh wait, I have one more announcement, and that is that we have we have the best week of programming this week. I am just but our programmers have outdone themselves. Tonight, we have a local um, supervisors candidates debate starting at 630. And this is for the Board of Supervisors candidates for the 1st District. That's John kennedy and glenn mcgordy Uh, they are running to represent the area of potter valley redwood valley Talmadge, and calpella and they're going to be here from 6 30 to 8 via zoom but it'll be a live debate moderated by karen Audubonny and there will be time at the end for listener questions of the candidates so that should be great we're doing another one on wednesday night from 6.30 to 8 with the second district supervisor candidates, and that's Mari Roden and Mo Mulhern. and They're vying to represent the Ukiah Valley area to replace um, retiring supervisor John McCowan. And then, of course, tomorrow night is the big first presidential debate with Donald Trump and Joe Biden, and that is going to be here on KZYX Live. NPR is doing special live coverage, and we'll run that from 6 to 8 o'clock. So, just for debates alone, we're outdoing ourselves. And, and,
2: and KZYX is in the midst of a slow oh, yeah, fundraising drive. Our, our quiet drive. Quiet drive. Slow and
0: quiet. Very quiet. Very quiet. Yes. So, yeah. And we've so, been getting yeah, calls if you, if all So, yeah. If you
2: listen to this show and you like it, give some money to the station. We would certainly appreciate it.
0: All right. With that, let's join Reveal in Progress. Uh, and it's been great to spend the 30 minutes with y'all. Take care. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYX and Z Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ and Ukiah at 91.5 FM and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.